Please bow with me. God, we're thankful for what you've done on the cross for us. We don't fully comprehend it all. We're trying to. Lord, we pray that uh, we'll have a better appreciation for it. And when with that appreciation comes uh, a better devotion and understanding. Lord, we, we, we love you, but we want to love you more. And we pray that uh, you'll bless us to do so. Bless us this little time as we look at that word and, and make it new uh, in a way that we haven't seen it before, but not new in terms of doctrine, but just new in our perception of it and our application. Bless us and guide us. We'll ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? We've read this passage a couple times this year. I've used a phrase. It's not a Bible phrase. It's called double imputation. We've talked about that. But verse 21 basically is double imputation. You know, just like the word Trinity is not in the Bible, we do believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's a word we use to describe three persons in one. Well, this is a double imputation. There's something going on in verse 21. Let me read the passage. I'm going to start at verse 18. And all things of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the world of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, and that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, there's the double imputation. There was a part of this legal transaction in which our sins were put on Christ, but there was a second part of that transaction where Jesus Christ's righteousness was put on us. Both of them were imputation. We call that a, a double imputation. Now, what I'd like to do is, is, is I want to really dive in to the sin part, the sin proportion of this particular work. Let's look at a few words, though. Sometimes words and their definitions can be confusing. Let me give you a couple examples. Maybe this will help clear it up. When you go to Genesis 1-5, the word day has two definitions. In the first part of the verse, the definition of day is a 24-hour period of time. But in the second part of the verse, the word day is the definition of 12 light hours, and then there's 12 dark hours. So day is a subset of the 24-hour day. It can be confusing, and the only way you can really tell is if you look at the context, which day the Lord's talking about in Scripture. So day can be a 24-hour period, or it can be a 12 within the 24-hour period. Second witness, Genesis 1 and 10, earth. Earth also has the same type of uh, parallel definitions. We can talk about earth, and in the first part of the verse, it's talking about the third planet from the sun. But then we go a little bit further, it's on that third planet, sphere, that third planet from the sun, that part of the planet is called earth, and the wet part is called seas. So we have a part of the whole being called earth, but the whole is called earth also. And then for a third witness, I'll go to Genesis 123, the same is true of the word man. In the beginning of that verse, the word man is describing all homo sapiens, but then later on we see man being described as those homo sapiens with an XY chromosome, 
but we know there's other Homo sapiens with an XX. So you have a subset of mankind, these male creatures, and then it is part of man, which is all of creatures. So we've got that from the standpoint of earth, we got it from day, and we got it from man, and I wanna do the same thing for grace. Grace can be both double imputation. Uh, let's think of it this way. If you're making notes on the left hand of your page right there, put a little box and say, that's the sinner. And on the right side, put another box and that's Christ. So double imputation is where our sins slide over to Jesus Christ. That's the first half of double imputation. And the second half is where Jesus' righteousness slides over to us. Now, I can call that whole description there in 2 Corinthians 5.21, grace. Would you agree with that? That's grace. But I can also call the righteous portion of that transaction grace also. Because what is grace? Grace is getting the things we don't deserve, unmerited favor. Grace can be the whole thing, but it also could be a compo subcomponent of that whole thing. This is the hard part. Mercy is the opposite. See, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy's not getting what you do deserve. But in the sin component of that transaction, I cannot call the whole thing mercy. And the reason why, this is really, really important. The reason why is the sin was taken off me. So from my perspective, it looks like mercy. But where did the sin go? The penalty. It went on to Jesus. Did God show Jesus any mercy? The answer is no. We do the same thing with the word free. We say, salvation is free. No, it wasn't free. It was really, really expensive. But it was free to me. So I'm just looking at it from the standpoint of that transaction where I'm looking what happened to me. And I go, it didn't cost me anything. But then I go on the other side and it was, oh, it cost a lot. So I can't call the whole sin transaction free. I can call what happened to me free, but not. Well, y'all, the same is true of other words like pardon. What does the word pardon mean? Let's suppose I did something and I got convicted and I was supposed to serve 20 years. And I served two years. And after two years, the governor of the state pardons me. What happens? I don't serve the last 18 years. But in this legal transaction, that's not what happened. I served my two years but Jesus served the last 18 years. So from my perspective, hey, I got pardoned, but from Jesus' perspective, he did not get pardoned. Y'all, the same is true of the word forgiven. Were my sins forgiven? Yes. From my perspective, I don't have any sin on me, but they weren't forgiven because the penalty was paid by Jesus Christ so there we are. So when we look at this thing called the legal work of what Jesus Christ accomplished, we think of words like mercy and, and, and being pardoned and being free. But you know what? It wasn't free and it wasn't full mercy. To us it was, but not to Jesus. See, I wanna look at what Jesus Christ did on the cross, what he did perspective, the whole transaction not just what it looks like from us, because there's a second half of the transaction. And if we ever forget the second half of the transaction, we never get that full appreciation for what Jesus Christ did on the cross.
And there's a whole other motive for obedience. It's not to get it, it's to say thank you for what Jesus did on the other side of the transaction. And that's the legal part of the transaction I'm trying to share. In this entitled generation that we live, I don't think our folks understand that. And it's really understand that that God can't stand sin. And we think, oh, he's this, this loving grandpa that forgives everything. Well, he did forgive it from our perspective, but he turns around and gave it to my big brother, Jesus. So how forgiving was he? Well, that's what we're going to look at. So mercy describes the removal of sin and its penalty, but the penalty was not removed. The penalty was simply substituted on another person. Let me give you a couple illustrations. I'm going to give you an Old Testament and a New Testament. If you have your Bibles, will you turn to Leviticus 16? Leviticus 16. Here's an example, and I'm not going to read this verse by verse. I'm going to encourage you to do so. I'm going to paraphrase what's going on here. But Leviticus 16, the description is about 6 to 10. There was a part of the ceremonial law where two goats were taken, and one was killed and offered up as a sacrifice, and the other one was let go into the wilderness. And you think, God, why did you use two goats? What was he doing with that illustration? What was it supposed to represent? Well, what happened was is Aaron would go take two goats, and he would cleanse himself and prepare him to make the offering. And then what he do would cast lots. And what happened? What did the goat that was sacrificed represent? It was represented the atonement God needed. But what happened to the other goat? It was let go into the wilderness and it represented you and I being free from that damnation. It was still put on us, but in a way it was put on Jesus. Can you have that transaction without both coats? The answer is not according to the ceremonial law. So the reason why God put that in there is there was two parts of that transaction, that transfer of sin. It was the part that was offered up, and then there was the part that was let go. When we look at Scripture and all we see is the part where we're let go, we don't appreciate the goat that was killed. When we see our sins are forgiven, we've been pardoned, and we don't recognize that Jesus was crucified and offered up for us, we don't understand the full transaction. That was the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there was a parallel passage. If you remember, Jesus Christ was sitting there before Pilate, and there was two people sitting before Pilate. One was Jesus, the Son of God, and the other one was Barabbas. Now, I don't know if you might ever study out names, but whenever you hear the word bar as a prefix to a name, that means the son of. Like in our modern culture, we hear Peterson and Davidson and Johnson. That means the son of David, the son of Peter, the son of John. That's, that's how that works. Well, they had bar. Remember Simon Bar-Jonah? That meant Simon, the son of Jonah. Well, Barabbas had a name, and it started with B-A-R, Bar. What does Abba mean? Abba means father. What does Abbas mean? It means a father in Israel. So, Barabbas was the son of a big-shot Jew. There was another person sitting in front of him, and his name was Jesus, 
And I could very easily give him the name Barabba. Who was he? The son of the father. So Barabbas and Barabba. One of them was crucified and offered and the other one was let go. Can you do it without having the person crucified? The answer is no, you need both parts of the transaction. Do you see it? So all through scripture we see these words like pardon and mercy and and forgiveness and free and we go, yeah. But I just want to make sure today is the day and I don't want it to be a depressing day, I want it to be a hallelujah day. But at the same time, I want us to appreciate, to really understand God is a God of justice and what he demands. And he demanded first perfect justice and he got it. And when we see those words, we're only looking at half the transaction. Let's look at this from a standpoint of scripture. Let's go to the doctrine. God is just and he's, he, his character demands justice. Here's a couple of verses, Romans 2.2. 2. And, and these are paraphrased. Again, I encourage you to go back and read not only the whole verse, but read the verses above and below. Make sure I'm not cherry picking on you. The judgment of God is according to truth against them committing all those things that were listed in Romans 1. And then Romans 2, 5, and 6. Against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So God is a God of justice. His character demands justice. But he's forgiving. We're only looking at half the transaction. What you deserved, Jesus was given. He got his justice. According to the law, sin is punishable by death. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And then also in Galatians 3, as it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things written in the law. How many of you have continued in all things? Remember the rich young ruler tried to pull that stunt? All these commandments I've kept from my youth? You go, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Does that include covening? That's the one that got Paul. No, we don't. We're worthy of death. Wait a second. Everybody's worthy of death. But we didn't die. Why? Because the penalty was put on Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple examples about this death penalty. Genesis 2.17. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of. What's the penalty for just eating a piece of fruit? For in the day thou eatest thou shalt surely die. Just for eating one piece of fruit. Just for eating one piece of fruit. And then Joshua 7, 24 and 25. Israel took Achan, his sons and his daughters and all his stuff, his robes and his livestock and his tent, and he stoned them all and he burned them. Israel went into battle. And when they went into battle, they go, oh, this enemy is just nothing. We only need to send a couple soldiers. We can wipe them out. No problem. Especially after the Jericho. They went into the battle and Israel got whumped. And Joshua said, time out, God, what happened? And he said, well, there's a guy in your crowd. And he took some stuff. And he buried it deep in his tent. So the man fessed up. And you know what the penalty was? And it appeased God. How can that happen? Well, think about it. Think of how many people were appeased by the death of Achan and his children. Well, first of all, there was the soldiers that went into battle that got killed because they were out of favor with God. And then they, were, they couldn't go into battle again because they would have got whumped because of the sin committed by Achan. So Achan's sin was kind of dominoing throughout Israel. 
And the way to satisfy God with that was the death of Achan and his family. Boy, God sounds pretty tough. Well, he's holy and he's just and he demands justice. So, so when you understand how... I, I sound irreverent when I said he's hard. But he's hard to 2023 American thinking. But that's the God of the Bible. And he demands justice. And he did get his justice, but it was on Jesus Christ, his son. God demands justice to the lawbreakers. Let me give you a couple verses. Romans 1, 32, knowing that the judgment of God, which commits such, and there's a whole list of sins right at the end of Romans 1, it says they're worthy of death. And if you read the rest of that passage, it says not only are they worthy of death, the people they've taken pleasure in the people committing the sins is worthy of death too. 5.12, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So it doesn't matter if you commit the sin or you inherit the sin, it's still worthy of death. And then finally, Hebrews 9.22, the law purged with blood without the shedding of blood is no remission of sins. No remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Now again, in the Old Testament, they offered a lot of lambs and goats and bullocks and, and all kinds of livestock, rams. Why? Well, it didn't take. They had to do it all over again. But when Jesus died on the cross, it did take no more blood because God was satisfied. Let's talk about substitution. Substitution is a real hard concept for us in our that's not fair attitude. But substitution happens all throughout scripture. Here's a couple examples. In Genesis 22:13, this is a case when Abraham was told to offer his son. And if you remember, he was getting ready and he took his son and he packed up the sticks and he packed up everything he needed and Isaac was actually toting the sticks and he went up on the mountaintop and he was actually getting to the point where Abraham bound his son Isaac and he had him on top of the fire and he was all ready with a knife and ready to slit his throat. And then what happened? He heard a ram caught in a thicket and he pulled a substitute. So Isaac was freed and the ram was put on top of the sacrifice. That is an example of a substitute. That's one. Let's look at a second substitute. This is in 2 Samuel 12, 13, and 14. Now, this is the case after David had sinned. Now, this sin was a real doozy. David was on the rooftop, and he watched Bathsheba. Then he covered, then he went and committed adultery, and then he covered up with a lie, and then after the lie, he had the husband killed. And then after the husband was killed, he married the woman. And this baby that came out of this adulterous act, the baby was born. And the baby was really, really sick. Nigh unto death. And the Lord, through the prophet, came to David and said this. In verse 13, David, or David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said this, the Lord hath put away thy sin. Look at that, look at that, look at that. No, 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 watch that. The Lord put away thy sin. Did he really? No. From David's perspective, he put it away because David didn't die. But what happened? The Lord hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. How be it 
the child born unto thee shall surely die. Was the sin really put away? Well, from David's perspective, yes. But when you look at the whole transaction, no. And what's even worse is David was the perpetrator. What did that little seven-day-old baby do? Nothing. But that was the substitute. Jesus went to the cross. Is that fair? No. But that's what God did. Amen? You've got to look at the entire transaction. We can't cherry-pick parts of a transaction. We've got to look at the whole thing. A couple more illustrations. This is one of my favorite Old Testament stories. In first, or sorry, 2 Samuel 21, and, and, and it, the passage goes from about 1 to verse 13. Let me paraphrase the whole account for you. Because actually you have to go back to Joshua. If you remember when Joshua crossed the Jordan River and it took about six or seven years to claim the promised land. They had to go and they had to fight for a good while, while. And during that time when they were fighting, they, 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 they beat Ai, they beat Jericho, they beat all these different cities. There was this tribe called the Gibeonites. And they watched Israel whumping everybody. And the Gibeonites said, we are afraid of your God. There is no way in the world we can stand against you. So they cut a deal, and I would love to spend a Sunday one day talking about it. Maybe we'll do that Wednesday. I'd go into all those details. But they cut a deal with Joshua saying, please don't kill us. We will be your servants forever. Just don't wipe us out because we know we don't stand a chance. And Joshua said, okay. So some time went by. And along comes King Saul, and guess what King Saul did? He wiped out the Gibeonites. In his zeal to purify or purge the nation, he broke the contract that Israel had made with the Gibeonites. Gibeonites kept every jot and tittle of their contract. Saul broke the contract, and as a result of that, Saul died, and a couple years went by, and guess what God did? God struck Israel with a famine for three years. Saul's not even king. He's already dead and gone. So David's sitting there, and after three years, there's a famine. This is good nighttime reading. Better than the movies. So Saul, David's there, and he's thinking, he's, oh, three years of famine. He's, oh, maybe I better ask God what's wrong. And he prays to God. He says, God, what happened? And God said, Saul broke my contract. And he says, go to the Gibeonites and make it right. So David goes to the Gibeonites and says, okay, we broke the contract. We will do anything you want. And the Gibeonites could ask for their freedom, but they didn't. They could ask for money and lands, but they didn't. They said, we are happy serving you as your servants under your God. We're content with that. The only thing is we want seven sons of Saul and we will hang them. Y'all, does that sound like a substitute? Sure does. So, the detail of the seven boys David picks, oh, he, he writes so many wrongs 
but there's just the one wrong with the nation is that's the only one we're going to worry about right now but he's, he's, he's picking seven boys, and the history behind those seven boys, he's toning everything all at once. But they sacrificed these seven boys. And guess what? The rain started coming down. What do those seven boys do? Nothing. Who committed the sin? Saul and Israel. I don't, it doesn't say how many people died during the famine. Maybe a couple of them died. So what happened was, is these seven boys were a sacrifice. That's how sacrifices work. That's how substitution works. Whether it be a little bitty baby fulfilling the penalty or seven sons of Saul filling the penalty, that's what it was. I find it real interesting when David was looking for seven offspring of Jonathan, there was one offspring, Mephibosheth. And he says, I can't pick him because I made a contract with him. So if I pick Mephibosheth, my contract would be broken and I'd be guilty of doing what King Saul did. So again, it's, it's a fascinating, the details. But the thing is, is God is a God of substitution. He's a God of justice and he demands it. The thing that we don't understand in our modern culture is God is happy with substitution and we want to get God from the blood from the perpetrator. But God's not that way. And you know what? I'm thankful God's not that way. Because where would we be? Here's a tough word. And we spent a couple Wednesday nights talking about this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on justified. But justified means, it has two definitions. It could mean to proclaim innocent, and it could be used to describe made innocent. Jesus' blood made us innocent, but it also proclaims us innocent. Be, this is Romans 5, 9. Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And then 1 John 3, 5. He was manifested to take our sins... In him is no sin. So again, we look at these transactions and we've had our sin taken away. But it wasn't abolished. It wasn't annihilated. It wasn't erased. Next week, we're going to, Lord willing, look at Jesus' finished work from a financial transaction. But right here on the legal aspect, sometimes this legal thing's for us to comprehend. But let's suppose I had a ledger and and, 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 and in that ledger, it says, Brother Dolph owes uh, Richard $100. Well, there's one thing Richard could do. He, out of the, the kindness of his soul, he could just take in a pencil, turn it over, get the eraser, and just and say, it's gone, Dolph, don't worry about it. Or Brother Richard could take that ledger, and he says, okay, Dolph, take an eraser, but then turn the pencil up over and put it on Emery's ledger, and he puts, Emery owes me $100. We're laughing at that. We don't think that way. But that's what God did with our sin. How can we be pardoned and or forgiven when Jesus, God, demands forgiveness? Read this in Ephesians 1.7. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to his grace. Well, the question is, is are we forgiven or are we not? And the answer is yes. But was the sin forgiven or was the sin forgiven not? The answer is no, it ended up on Jesus' ledger, not on mine. 
So don't worry. We have been pardoned. We haven't been paroled. What's the difference between pardoned and paroled? Pardoned, it's gone forever. Paroled is you gotta get you still gotta be still good or you're gonna get in trouble again. That's not what it's been forgiven from our perspective, but that has been put on Jesus' ledger. And then Isaiah 40 and verse 2, cry unto Jerusalem that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. Pardoned. It was let go. Well, we've been let go too. But there's a sentence that still had to be fulfilled, and Jesus slipped in and took it up before us. Let's go to 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18. Y'all, this is double imputation. Now, I guess if you're looking at double imputation, let, let's look at it from another perspective. In double imputation, there's, there's four parts to the complete transaction. There's the sin coming off of me, and then there's the sin going on Jesus. That's two parts. And in this also is the righteousness coming off of Jesus, and the second half of that transaction is the righteousness coming on me. So in double imputations, there's four parts of it. And, and, and all these things like forgiveness and mercy and free is just describing one out of the four, the stuff coming off us. And praise the Lord for the stuff coming off us. That's what this was all in here. And nothing but the blood of Jesus, it was loaded with that quarter of the transaction. We sang other songs that had other parts of that trans, those four parts of the transaction. But that nothing but the blood is only talking about that one part. Let's read this one. Notice this. Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. You know when I see a phrase like that, you know what screams off the page? Substitution. That's what it was. Substitution. That he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh. So the just man was put to death and the unjust man was let go. How can that be? Just like David. David was let go and the seven-day-old baby suffered the penalty. And here's the passage we opened up with, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, Guess what that sounds like? Substitution. Did it said he made him that was sinful? No. He became sin because the reason why he became sin is our stuff, our sins were put on his ledger. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That means his ledger was clean. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hey, I got that. Here's the good part. There's the righteousness of Jesus going on to us. Now I thought about this part of the transaction too. I think Jesus had enough righteousness to keep some for himself and give us some too. Amen? I'm glad that wasn't the way it was with our sin. Well, we had enough sin to keep some for us ourselves and put some on Jesus. No, that's not the way it went. All of our sin went on to Jesus, but on the righteousness his righteousness went on us. So I look at that. So with that being said, that's the legal aspect. In some ways, um, it can be confusing, 
But in other ways, it's really important for us to understand the details of both sides of that transaction. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.